I will be reading Acts 8, 26-31. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Canids, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go over to his chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, Do you understand what you, were, what you are reading? He replied, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. We have been in a sermon series, Love Everybody. And while we agree you should love everybody, um, we are trying to emphasize loving everybody, as in our physical selves, that we are more than just only spiritual beings, and that um, for Christ to take on flesh and dwell among us uh, should matter, uh, that God values all of us, not just a part of us. And so we are in this series, and I don't know about you, but I've sometimes been tempted to maybe act like I didn't notice something physical about somebody. You know, you're like, oh, did you notice, you know, whether that's uh, the new receding hairline or a mole or whatever it is. And sometimes we feel like if I act like I don't notice, that's somehow superior or a good thing. If I, if I don't notice the physical aspect of somebody. Uh, but we know that that's not always the case because like if I see that you walk in and you've got a walker, I should see something physical about you and then respond accordingly of, hey, you know, we've got a, a, an accessible entrance into the sanctuary. Why don't we come around this direction? Um, but sometimes we feel like if I just act like I don't see the differences um, with somebody else, that that's somehow better instead of actually learning how um, to better be welcoming, how to better interact with someone. And I have to confess a story about myself. Uh, when I was in seminary, I worked with a company that did like automobile extended warranties. Uh, they used to be owned by Ford and they bought themselves out in that kind of car financial crisis. And so we had like 250 employees and I worked in HR. And my supervisor was this wonderful, um, really uh, loving and friendly uh, black woman. And I was talking to her and I needed to tell her about some employee that I couldn't remember their name. And I was trying to describe the employee, but I was leaving out some facts or some details. And so she's like, okay, well, did he have glasses? No. She's like, was it so-and-so? Was it so-and-so? No, no. Uh, okay, well, like how tall? You know, did he have a beard? Did he not? All this stuff. And she keeps naming people. And she eventually goes, wait, is he black? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> that might have been a helpful tidbit. I could have narrowed our little search down. <laughs> but you're a little bit like, should I notice that? Should I care? Should I voice that? And I think probably everyone in this room has had those kinds of moments where you've not wanted to acknowledge something about the physical person that we are encountering. And we sometimes become awkward. We sometimes mess things up because we struggle with our physical selves and what makes us different from one another. 
And so today's text invites us to, to ask how does God um, respond to those who are physically different and how should we respond to those who are physically different. And so I want to give us the context of this story that we read that we entered into. You're in the book of Acts. The early apostles are trying to spread good news about Jesus. And they primarily in the early part of Acts are doing that in Jerusalem. And then they start being persecuted and they start going away from Jerusalem further out into the world to spread that message. And so earlier in the chapter we read they they made it to Samaria. And so they made it to some people who are not exactly fully Jewish, and they have this kind of, kind of long history of kind of infighting between each other, the Samaritans and the Jewish people. Um, and so it's in that context that we get to this new story in which Philip uh, finds himself taken into the spirit, into this wilderness spot, wondering, what on earth am I doing out here? And it's like he has a Ferrari pull up, because if you have a chariot, you've got some money in the ancient world, so this nice vehicle shows up, and you might imagine, okay, what, what's on their stereo? You hear the speakers going, You're like what kind of music is it? Well, in this chariot, someone's reading scripture out loud, and you're like, oh, maybe I should respond to that. That's not usual. I suddenly hear Isaiah being talked about in this chariot, and so Philip walks up to the chariot like, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And I appreciate how Philip is trying to discern why is he there. Um, this summer, like right before we had our, the, the mural festival and rally day and all of that, I was walking down Cortland Street from Jackson Coffee Company, and there's this young lady who's like video chatting with somebody, and she's like, you know, I just, I haven't really found a church, I haven't really connected. I, I, hey, sorry, I feel like maybe I should just let you know I'm pastor of that church right there. We're having a cookout after service this week. Maybe you'd like to just drop in. You know, it's that kind of moment where you're like, I just think I'm supposed to speak into this. And so, like, Philip doesn't know what he's getting himself into when he shows up at this chariot. He doesn't know this person's story or anything like that. He just shows up and says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, well, how can I if no one's here to teach me? Here, join me. Come tell me about it. And so Philip joins this Ethiopian official on this ride. And he explains this passage in Isaiah uh, that's about the suffering servant, and he connects that to Jesus and says uh, the good news of who Jesus was. And it sounds like this is just a win-win-win, like grand slam, perfect day, because the Ethiopian official is fully on board, and he wants to get baptized. And he says, hey, what's to prevent me from baptism? Look, there's water. And if you don't know anything about the context or the backdrop of the story, this seems like a pretty basic, simple, straightforward story, but it is anything but that. And so we have to understand the complexity of that question, what prevents me from being baptized? And so if we have to understand, um, which if you were reading along in Acts 8, you might not have even known how to pronounce the word uh, eunuch. Um, maybe you've heard that talked about, maybe you haven't, but we're talking about someone who has some sort of abnormal physical part of their body, one in which we don't often talk about out loud in public, um, but something about what makes them their gender is not quite regular. And usually eunuchs worked along with like a queen and like a royal court, and they were seen as not a threat, as, as kind of a, as a sexual rival or something like that. Um, but it's this person who's physically not 
normal compared to society's expectations. And Jesus talks about eunuchs in Matthew 19, he, which I think is helpful for us to understand what it, who a eunuch is. He says, some people were born a eunuch. Some people uh, had others who caused them to be a eunuch. And some people made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. And so he's talking about you could be irregular by, by birth. You could be irregular because someone has done something to you. You could be irregular because you've done something to you. Um, and he's actually using him in that story to, to talk about some men who are like, hey, I don't like that you're being tough on me about, um, I'd like to just be able to divorce for any reason. Um, and they're actually being held up as a way to be godly. Um, but there's these, this different physical aspect to them. Um, and I don't know about you, but I didn't really grow up in a medical professional household, so I never, I didn't grow up around really precise medical terms and, and, and all of that. Uh, and so maybe you've grown up in that too, and we don't necessarily know how to describe the irregularities that we experience in our, in our world. Um, but I thought it might be interesting just to know the ways of talking about our different kinds of bodies are actually usually more diverse and more precise than we often use those words and how we talk about them. Uh, and so my example is uh, there's a Jewish document called the Mishnah, which is like kind of their oral tradition. And it was developed around the first century, and it was kind of written down about 150 A.D., which is around the same time that some of the New Testament was written. And it actually gives like six or seven categories of genders, which might sound strange to you, like, wow, this first, second century people are talking about people whose bodies aren't normal in our society standards. Um, but it talks about male and female, and it talks about those who had both male and female sexual characteristics. It talks about people who had indeterminate or obscured ones, or some people who were born with one characteristic, and then when they hit puberty and adolescence have a different characteristic. And we might not think about those kinds of things, but we'll get to a little bit why the Jewish people are really thinking about those law codes and why that mattered a lot to them. Um, but that's kind of nothing in comparison to our own modern science journals that deal with like 40 different types of uh, differences, uh, variations. Um, and you might, you know, kind of say, well, our, our physical anatomy is sometimes different, but our genetics are pretty straightforward. And then you're like, well, not really that either. Um, sometimes, even though we're used to XX or XY2 chromosomes, sometimes we have a third chromosome. Sometimes we have a fourth chromosome, and it gets confusing. And I'll never forget watching, I don't know if it was like 60 Minutes, but there's this mother who's needing an organ transplant. I can't remember if it's kidney or, or, or which organ. And so they took her family in to get them tested to see if one of her family, like her close relatives, might be a match. So they test her, her husband, they test her kids, and the doctors come back to her and say, hey, your kids are your, are your husband's kids, but they're not your kids. And if you can imagine a mother's reaction, that's going to be very confusing. She's like, what do you mean they're not my kids? I birthed them. <laughs> and what it turned out was she was one of the kind of anomalies in which she had more than one DNA sequence in her. Certain organs were one genetic code and certain ones were different. So the blood test they did was not the genetic parent of her children. It's good to know because you need to test that organ now because you need to know what that organ's sequences are. Um, but our world is just more complex than we often give it 
credit? And that's the simplicity. We want simple answers. We want simple checkboxes. Um, but things are more complex, and this eunuch in our story is more complex than our simple answers. And it's important because people are often excluded by their differences. Sometimes we don't name what's different and, and we don't want to talk about it, but we end up excluding people. And so in Deuteronomy 23, which if you want uh, kind of fun homework, read Deuteronomy 23 verse 1 because I don't even actually kind of want to quote it out loud. It's a little bit more medical or scientifically precise than, than maybe I want to say out loud. But it's talking about if, if uh, for a guy, if, if certain parts of you have, have been modified or, or removed, you are not welcome in the assembly of the Lord. And so, you know, if you think about Jesus' category, sometimes someone did something to you. Maybe you were beaten in battle and the army of your, your enemy has modified your body and you had no decision. In this kind of blanket statement verse, you're, you're not a part of the community anymore. You can't enter into God's presence. You can't worship with your family. And so that spirit of exclusion would be incredibly challenging. I don't think we often think about how excluding that might feel to somebody. And so this mattered because what was the mark of being in the covenant? Circumcision. And so because there's a very physical thing attached to why I'm a community member or not and what's my sign or not, being irregular is going to be very challenging to their faith. Um, and so it was a very tough issue. Um, the priestly code wants purity laws that are simple. You're either clean or you're unclean. It's either right or wrong. And so these kinds of cases were tough because the ambiguity made it challenging to have our usual simple answers. And so maybe we're tempted into that same thing. I want simple answers. I want simple boxes. Uh, and this story is a little bit challenging because you have this Ethiopian eunuch uh, who shows up and he's asking, what prevents me from baptism? Am I included? Can I be one of you? And that is a whole lot more charged and loaded and more real and important um, than our just kind of glancing reading of that might be. Like, hey, can I be included? This good news, is it for me too? And that's, that's the tough place that his life and his experience has led him to even have to ask that question. And so I, I think that it's important to see the trajectory of Scripture um, because I don't think it's happenstance that this story quotes Isaiah 53 and he hears this guy reading Isaiah because like three chapters after that, that story that he's reading from that gets quoted, it talks about eunuchs and it's one of the only places in the Bible that's talking about eunuchs. And so before we have chapter divisions, um, maybe Philip might think of this story. Maybe they continued and read this story. Um, but Isaiah 56, 3, it, it acknowledges that people might think they're excluded. It says, don't let the foreigner join to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And don't let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. And so it's like acknowledging that there are people among you who feel like they're separated, that God won't include them. There are people among you who feel like uh, their life has no meaning or purpose, that they're dried up. Um, instead, thus says the Lord, 
to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And I think the word plays intentional. And no matter what is going on with your body, uh, I will hold up your name and you will not be cut off from me. And that, that spirit that's at work then shows up into this text because Philip is going to embrace the eunuch and is going to walk with him to waters. And I want to appreciate that this text still has ambiguity in it, which actually I think is helpful. It's possible that this story is the first Gentile convert in the whole book of Acts. Uh, he's from Ethiopia. It could be that he's a Gentile, but it could also be that he's kind of a scattered Jewish person that's living on the fringes of the world who is kind of returning home. Either one of those readings is possible. Uh, it could be that he is a black man. It could be that he's uh, you know, Middle Eastern or Jewish. It, you know, we don't know. You know. There's a lot about his body, his, his life, that's left up to your imagination. But I think that that's good because we can fill that story in with whatever detail and still say, what's to prevent me from being baptized? And the answer is still Philip going with him into the water. And so, look, here's water. What's to prevent me from being baptized? And even though there's probably a lot of people who might have come up with some reasons for saying why you shouldn't be baptized, why you're excluded, Philip gets into the water with him and baptizes him, showing that God's welcoming spirit is often more welcoming than we uh, are inclined to. And so they go into the water. And I hope that there's a few angles that you might find yourself in the story. If you're in the story and you feel excluded, you feel cut off from people, you feel different, you feel like an outsider, the story is one that invites you to feel the welcoming embrace of God, that no matter what, you are worthy of being told the good news, you are worthy of, of being baptized, um, and you might feel like there's something about you that makes you feel that that's not worthy. Uh, but there is nothing about the way that you were born that disqualifies you. There's nothing about what you've done to yourself that disqualifies you. And there's nothing that anybody else on this planet could do to you that disqualifies you from the good news and from baptism. And so in this story, God embraces this, this person. And I, I think it's important that we note that the act that they do, that baptism, is a community act. It is both an acknowledgement of who God is and kind of a submission to God, but it's one done in community, that someone else baptizes you and that you're received into a family of God. And so this, this person that is baptized is not only welcomed by God, but by others. And that's what's going on in baptism. Um, and I'll make a fun little small little note, footnote. Uh, one of the very first Baptists that gets kind of labeled as Baptist, John Smith and Holland, faced the challenge that they started thinking that they really wanted to stress you know, um, adult baptism or baptism when you make that decision for yourself. And they all had been infant baptized and decided that they wanted to be baptized again for themselves. But they said, wait, who does that first? And so John Smythe actually baptizes himself and then baptizes his community, which is a fun theological complexity. Um, 
And I think they realize the challenge of that because it is meant to be this community embrace and it's hard to do that by yourself. Uh, and so when we have our private spirituality that wants to be kind of like, well, I, me and God by myself, baptism is one of those signs that we are brought into a community by a community uh, in worship of God. And so uh, this, this eunuch is not denied that opportunity to join in baptism. And I want to just kind of voice that on a day when we're doing a baby dedication, that just because uh, you might delay baptism towards a certain mental capability and kind of decision for yourself and not wanting to deny anyone that own Ethiopian eunuch moment of, I want to decide that I want to go into the waters of baptism. That doesn't mean that anybody else is automatically pushed out of the community, that they have no place in it, that they are excluded until that one moment. Um, we are all kind of like Philip, walking along, you know, instead of a chariot, we kind of got a baby stroller, <laughs> walking along, along with our children, trying to teach them the faith, trying to help them understand good news, and they are a part of that message, and we hope that there's that moment when they ask for themselves, hey, here's water, what's to prevent me from being baptized? And so we all hope to have those moments, and I think we're all called to be like Philip, and some of that, us need to hear that, yeah, I need to tell good news to my family, to my friends. But you might be like Philip and you're invited into a wilderness where you don't know why on earth I'm here. Uh, and you might be invited to share the good news with people that you might expect to share it with or people that you really don't. Um, but God is surprising in God's ability to welcome even when we choose not to necessarily be as welcoming. Um, but I think it's a part of a healthy, vibrant community to be able to actually say, no matter who you are, good news has come down. What prevents you from being baptized? And so if you're here, I hope you feel that loving embrace, but I also hope that you feel that passionate uh, call to go out into the wilderness and to share that good news with somebody. So would you join me in prayer? Lord God, um, each of us have entered in this space with different challenges, with different opportunities. Lord, we all need that reminder um, because we are, I know I can be my own worst self-critic, we can be our own self-critics that, um, that we feel unworthy of, uh, of good things, of love. And Lord, I hope that your loving embrace might wrap around all of us um, and that we might be aware that while unclean, that you cleanse us, that we should extend that embrace to all because, uh, because you have extended it to all. Lord, I ask that you'd give us a heart and a passion uh, for those who feel excluded, for those who feel different, who feel strange, who feel um, disconnected. Lord, help give our, our hearts, our, our service to you so that we might welcome in the stranger. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.